Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there. Welcome to this week's episode. So we touch on alcoholism, addiction, drug abuse, recovery, value creation, business, and then CBD oil. All of those are mixed together in this week's episode with Josie Orr. It's all his story, his journey, lessons learned, and his new focus in his new company, focusing on CBD and a very honest and transparent way to launch that business. It's a very interesting story, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Just before I let you get to that, thanks for, as always, checking out the episodes. This week, a couple of folks reached out, one or two on Twitter, saying they really enjoyed the interview with Nirbasha McGee about meditation and running and combining those two together. Please do check it out. Over the last few weeks, I've noticed kind of a nice steady increase on listener numbers week on week, day on day, which is kind of cool. It's a consistency, which is good. People are coming back, checking it out. As always, I ask for some assistance in helping it get into the ears of others, ears as in E-A-R-S. And this week, maybe I'll ask for some ratings or reviews and reviews, perhaps, of the show on your favorite app of choice that helps maybe with the ranking and that helps other people stumble across the show and see what is this one percent better all about another piece of feedback or a listener got in touch this week and said they hadn't heard any of the episodes before checked out the one with john eads a couple of weeks ago and were very surprised because they thought it wouldn't be that good but they took a lot of good stuff out of it so a positive that they got something good out of it the part that they thought it wouldn't be that good is kind of interesting I wonder why I didn't probe too deeply but maybe there's stuff I need to do better myself finally today is Friday the 1st of November if you're listening to it on the release day it's the start of November as in no saying no to something for november that little idea for the monthly challenge we do in the slack group so it's my first day without coffee first of the whole month and i think if i get through this one i'll be pretty tired and detoxed from caffeine so let's see how it goes sign up to the group as well if you want to join it's free there's a link on the front page of the website or a lot of the posts i put out on any of the socials you can check it out right so i'll let you enjoy the episode with josie or thanks for checking it out as always have a great week and talk to you again next week good luck Hey folks, welcome to another 1% Better episode and as is always the case with these I like to try and identify interesting characters that have a good story and also interesting topics that I may have not touched on before and I think that uh, will hit both angles with this one. I'm talking with a gentleman from the US, from Austin, Texas. Is is that your hometown? Are you originally from there, uh, Josie? Uh, no, I'm originally from the Philadelphia area, actually a very small town of about 5,000 people called Birdsboro, Pennsylvania. Okay, very good. Well, Josie Orr, welcome to the podcast. You are in Austin, Texas right now, though, right? That's your, your, your base. That is home base now. I'm a Texan. Very good. And I was actually in Texas a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, we weren't able to uh, to meet up in person at the time, so we have to do it uh, whatever, 7,000 miles apart, but... The beauty of technology, we're able to do these things. So, so Josie, you have an interesting backstory, and uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Um, you know, serial entrepreneur, 
philanthropy is in there definitely interested in, in learning a bit about that and then bringing us up to the now the whole area of cbd oil and your latest venture want to touch on that because i think there's a lot of myths and misunderstandings around cbd and i definitely want to learn a little bit about it as well so that's the what what's on the the agenda i guess for us to cover so maybe let's take it uh back to your early days and um talk to me a bit about who josie or was i suppose growing up and things that were on your radar especially around entrepreneurial I'm very fascinated about people that are entrepreneurs and and how they got into that area yeah uh no problem so i think you know pretty regular you know uh boring childhood i guess you would say I don't know about boring, but just normal. Um, but, but I think my first interaction with businessmen was with my father, and my first job was working for him in a steel yard. That's my family business. So um, going back to uh, 1888, they've had this steel company, um, and it still exists today. And, uh, yeah, so that was my first job, uh, was not, um, anything glamorous. I was painting the, the back of, uh, you know, roll off containers for tractor trailer trucks. And, um, I did learn very early on. I'm like, I don't want to work for anybody else ever again. I'd much rather be the one giving the orders and taking them and having to sit out here and do this in the hot, in the cold, all types of weather. So yeah, that was my first job and my first, you know, real opportunity to understand who my dad was, um, outside of being my dad, you know, he was the owner of a business. So yeah. And I guess when, when you're in, when you're, I suppose, faced and kind of growing up with business around you, it just becomes part of everyday life, I suppose. Do you feel that that gave you an advantage when you did start diving out and going out on your own that you had maybe learned a lot of the do's and don'ts just through being around it yeah so i i have one lesson i remember learning very on was that you know my dad always had his things would repeat and tell me and he'd always be like the customer's the lifeblood of your business Nothing matters as much as your customer. You don't have them, you don't have anything. So you got to treat people well, treat people with respect, treat people how you want to be treated. You know, that sounds like a very basic concept, but it was definitely drilled into my head. And typically when I got compliments on my work, it was because a customer said like, oh, you know, the young man at the counter today, the young man that rung me up for my, the steel that I brought in was very kind. And then I would get back to my dad and he would sort of, you know, reinforce like that that's a good thing to be doing. That's the type of feedback you want. Um, and especially in that industry, you know, you deal with uh, a lot of men that are working blue collar jobs that, that, you know, aren't always the most polite people, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Um, and so that was, that was a big lesson for me. And, you know, also just being a man of your word. So if you said that you were going to do something and it was going to be there at a certain time or, you know, whatever it may be that you, you need to keep that word because that's what makes you a a good businessman, um, is dependability and staying true to your word. So 
those are probably the first two lessons that I learned that have stuck with me. That and obviously not wanting to actually work for anybody else except for myself at a pretty early age. Yeah, just interesting on the point you said they're kind of a you know a tough business, tough maybe customers to deal with, all men and probably alpha male. And you know if they're working with steel, there's probably a lot of you know strength and power behind it. But would that kind of lead? Would you, would your dad's leadership style, I suppose, have been very command and control and directive? And you know in today's world, when you're managing people and building businesses i guess you need to be a little bit more um i suppose balanced and rounded would 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 would, would that have rubbed off on you do you find that difficult to kind of uh be a bit more balanced i suppose in how you lead um yeah so i think one thing my dad was never like at least in my view I mean, I'm sure if you ask, there's probably a, a few employees that maybe have a different view than this, but uh, he was never a big alpha male guy, but it was more like, I'm not going to ask somebody to do something that I haven't done myself. Okay. Right? So he grew up working in the business, worked his way up. You know, he didn't, uh, he, he had done every job there by the time that he was in a position to take over. The company, and so I think that that is something that you see a lot in startups, right? In the early days of a startup company, you're going to wear a lot of hats, and then one day you're going to have employees, and you're going to ask them to do things, and you shouldn't be asking them to do stuff unless it's something that you've done yourself, right? Um, you know, because otherwise, how are you going to teach them? How are you going to be able to answer questions? You know, you have to have a pretty good uh, breadth of understanding of the ins and outs of a business. And so I think that is a crucial component to being an effective leader, right? Don't tell somebody to do something you haven't or wouldn't do yourself. Um, but yeah, and then the other side of it is like, yeah, you got a lot of guys that work in the scrapyard uh, who are uh, hard asses, you know, they've been doing hard work their whole lives. And, um, you know, they were, it's certainly different when you are the boss's kid, you sort of have a big target on your back, you know? So they didn't, I can't repeat the things that they would call me probably on your podcast, but, um, they had some, definitely had some nicknames and they gave me a hard time, but they were also, you know, that was their way, I guess, of just, you know, welcoming, welcoming me to the group. Um, yeah, and I had a younger brother that worked there as well, and they gave him shit too. So it's um, you know you got to be able to deal with it though, because you know people aren't always going to be nice to you. People are going to be jerks sometimes, and people are going to bust your chops a little bit, and uh, you need to learn how to let it roll off your shoulders. Mm. Yeah, definitely good values to to learn of you know hard work, and I suppose you know. Developing a thick skin, I would imagine, is is important uh, in that environment. And then when you go go down down the road of your own uh, startups, you certainly need need that. So, so maybe talk to me a, a little bit about when you know your first startup. What were your first plans to to go into that that world? What what was the draw and maybe lessons learned early on in those kind of ventures? Just in, in my early days of starting businesses? 
Yeah, like so when when you when you finished working for your the steel organization, your dad's business, had you a clear plan of what you wanted to do next and what your first startup was going to be? No. So what had actually happened um, was that during that time where my working for my dad was coming to an end was when um, I was sort of in the midst of my drug addiction and alcoholism, which we'll touch on later. But, um, what had sort of happened there was that when I was getting sober, I had moved from the Philadelphia area out to Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles, I kind of had to, I was starting fresh. You know, there was no family company to go work at. There was none of that. And so I actually had gotten a job at a um, web tech company. They called themselves. But what they did was um, search engine optimization. And it was really my first foray into that world of online business um and how all of that stuff sort of works you know search engine optimization social media marketing all these things and and so i was working for somebody else which i knew ultimately i didn't want to do and i had noticed though um that we were all there doing the work and the guy that owned the business was always traveling around meeting people trying to close deals i'm like i want to be doing that side of the business. I don't want to be doing the writing long form articles for this website side of the business. Um, and so I also realized for the first time the power of online business and how easy it is compared to previous years to just start one. You know, you can, you can put up a website now in an hour. Um, and so all of that was so new and so amazing to me at that time. Uh, and, and it's not like it was 1999 either, but I just didn't grow up around it. That wasn't the business that I knew. Um, so that was sort of my, I guess that job served as a reminder to me that like more that I can be doing and I can do it from anywhere, right? So I remember also at that time, I had started reading um, a lot of books about entrepreneurship and marketing. It was really interesting to me. And I, the first two books that I read were Purple Cow by Seth Godin and another book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, mm -hmm. who also lives in Austin now. Yeah. Um, and those two books, like at that time, really just opened my mind to a whole new world of thinking. And I was like, okay. What can I do? So that was sort of, I guess, the the jumping off point. Yeah, and those two, I, I know the four hour work week was probably only about twelve or thirteen years ago at this point, right? So it's that's kind of not that long ago, really, uh, in 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 the relative terms. But just before we dive into that, maybe just take it. You mentioned the drug and alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. Did that all just happen? Being living in at home in a small town and how, how did that come around? What, what brought you into that? Yeah. So the drug addiction and alcoholism, uh, well, how did it start is always the, the key question. You know, for me, um, I have alcoholism that runs in my family on both sides of it. 
And so I believe that there's a certain genetic predisposition. Um, and I think I, I started off drinking and, you know, smoking pot like any normal teenager in America. You know, you're in high school, you start to experiment with these things and um, you just never know. I mean, one, you're a teenager, you feel like you're invincible. And, and two, you just don't know these sort of uh, invisible lines that you cross that you don't, just don't get to step back over, you know? So for me, I think it, it became habitual and then an addiction and it's, it's a very progressive thing, addiction, right? You know, they, I start out, I'm smoking weed, I'm drinking. And then it's like, Oh, well, I'm curious about these other drugs and how they make me feel. Cause I always wanted to change how I felt. Um, and so then, you know, you're kind of a weekend warrior and, and these things progress. And like I mentioned before, where I grew up and a lot of the United States of America has a similar story to what I'm about to tell, which is that in these blue collar areas, you are seeing the opioid epidemic really take hold because, a lot of these folks have work-related injuries or what have you. They go to the doctor, they get prescribed pain medication that, quite frankly, is over-prescribed. You know, we're seeing a ton of lawsuits and settlements with large pharmaceutical companies just over the last few weeks here um, for the part that they played in the opioid crisis. So you had all these pharmaceutical painkillers flooding the market from the late nineties all the way to today, really. And so for me, I was able to have easy access to those drugs. And I know your healthcare system over there is much different than ours. So, um, for us, it was just like, I had a friend and her grandmother or her mother got prescribed these pills. They didn't make her feel good. So she wouldn't take them, but the the prescriptions would keep coming. Right. So they have all these things in around the house. They're just given to me. And it's not like, you know, it's anyone's fault, but mine, I take full accountability, but that, that's what I liked. And then that progresses from Vicodin and Percocet to Oxycontin and Oxycontin is, you know, one of the worst of the bunch. It's I've done that. And, uh, you know, I eventually became a heroin addict. And so, um, you know, they're not all that different. Like, uh, speaking from someone who's done both drugs, like Oxycontin is just pharmaceutical grade heroin. Um, and so what had happened to me and a lot of people that I know is that I want to say I got sober in 2011. So, um, somewhere around mid 2010, I, I think it um, the company that made Oxycontin had gotten some blowback about the addiction, the addictive nature of it. And, um, they changed the formula to make it anti-abuse. So you couldn't, you know, people would shoot Oxycontin, people would sniff Oxycontin. There's a bunch of things. This is all very foreign to you. I can see you're like, I feel like you're, uh, shocked by all this. no no not at all like I'm, I'm just listening intently like i'm aware of oxycontin i, I don't know if it, it probably is available over here um 
my only, I suppose, awareness of it is through watching TV shows from from the US. I guess from from ten or twelve years ago. I, I seem to remember. I don't know if you remember oh, some MTV show, Jack uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Jack Osbourne, or something. I think he was he was hooked on it. I remember that, and um, yeah, reading about it and stuff. So like serious stuff for sure. Um, and I guess like anything with you're right, like people have an addictive personality and you know if you apply that to taking drugs or you apply it to becoming a entrepreneur there's probably an obsessiveness in in all of those things that you want to be chasing it right and obviously there's good there's good obsessions and there's bad ones um and it's habitual as you said you, you build a habit and you look for the reward and it just keeps going so um, i thank you for sharing that and you know it's it's great that you're able to talk about it i guess as well what was the the point where you were able to break the the cycle the the point where you could kind of say right i i'm getting out of this for once and for all um yeah so fortunately for me um because i have both addiction but also recovery in my family my family was sort of with it. Right. So I was out of the house at this point. I'd been arrested a few times. I'd already been to rehab once. Um, my mother, um, plus her soul, um, didn't really give up on me and she was kind of keeping tabs and, you know, there's, there's a lot more detail to the story, but I guess what we'll say is she showed up at the right place at the right time and she got me to go into treatment, um, for a second time. And at that point I had sort of, you know, I still thought that I knew what was right for me, meaning that like I thought that I had sound decision-making skills. Meanwhile, I'm a heroin addict who can't stop getting arrested. Um, so, you know, clearly I was a bit delusional. And I remember my third day in treatment, I had just got off like, or my fourth day, I just got off three days of like the detox ward. And, um, I was on the phone with my mom and I'm telling her already about all of my grand plans for when I get out of rehab. And she was kind of like, there's nothing here for you. Like nobody wants to hear it anymore. You've exhausted all your options. And you know, I got mad and I was like, you know, whatever, screw that. Hung up the phone. I know what's best, you know? Um, but I did have sort of a moment of clarity after that phone call. I went and I got a very hot shower and I just sort of was like, you know what? She's right. So I, just, I became um, willing. I was I was given the gift of willingness, um, you know, now that the drugs had been removed from my system. And um, I finally became open, I guess, to hearing advice and listening to advice from people who know more than me. And so that's how I ended up in LA because the rehab had said, look, there's a sober living home. They also call them like halfway houses or there's a few different terms, but there's a sober living home. They'll take you. We'd like to ship you right there. Um, Cause we think, you need a little bit more than just a month of inpatient rehab. This would be good for you. And I just said, okay, whatever it's, you know, it's warm out there. It's freezing cold here in the winter, you know, send me to the palm trees. 
And I got out there and, you know, as I said earlier, it was like I had to decide who I wanted to be as a young man. I mean, I was only 20. Yeah, um, very young. Yeah, I'm 29 now. And so um, it was a big step for me in my life. Um, but luckily at that point, I had a little bit of humility and I was just willing to follow some good orderly direction. So. Like, I think, though, you're 29 now, and that happened nine years ago, whatever. In a good way, it happened at a very young age. And because a lot of people can be in that cycle till their 30s or later and, you know, wake up then. And, you know, that's uh, still good to wake up then, but it's, you know, a lot of life missed. Yeah. And and trust me, there was a lot of a lot of older people that were in the rooms of AA. AA was just the way that I got sober. Um, you know, if there is anyone listening to this who is struggling, um, AA worked for me, but it does not have a monopoly on sobriety. And and I do want to be clear about that, that just because it's the way I did, it didn't mean that it's the only way. Um yeah. But so there was a lot of people that I would meet in the rooms of AA and they would always say that same thing. They'd say, you're lucky you're getting it now. And I'm like, I'm 20, man. This fucking sucks. I can't drink anymore. I can't do anything. You know, in the early days, I'm like, I felt like my life was over, you know, uh, and I just had to believe that it was going to get better. And of course it did. Otherwise, I wouldn't still be sober. So. Um, but yeah, that was definitely, a, a the commentary of like, you're lucky you got it when you were 20 and you didn't, you know, have to do this for 30 years. You wake up and you're 50 years old and you have a life full of regrets and, you know, broken promises and all of this stuff. So, um, yeah, I was very fortunate looking back on it. Yeah. You can see it clearer now than, than obviously at the time when you, yeah, you're growing up and you're still your whole 20s ahead and that's kind of the decade where everybody goes a bit crazy and, you know, partying and whatnot. So I, I, I totally understand um, what, what you're saying, where you're coming from. So so look, let's look look forward from there. And I guess that's where you started getting into, you mentioned the, the first role, starting to see, yeah, I want to become uh, the boss rather than working for the boss. Um, talk to me about some of the, the, I suppose, the lessons you've learned along that journey, what what will bring us up to, to, to the now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, the early parts of that journey were, I think I was 21 or 22, I guess, when I started my first business and I just had no idea what I was getting into, what I was doing. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into starting a business and usually when you're, young and starting one you don't have a ton of work experience at other startups at other places right so yeah. you're learning everything on the go and the first one was like an on an online retail store for men failed miserably because we spent all of our money on on inventory i mean we just had no idea so we had all this inventory but had no clue how to sell you know, how to drive traffic to a website. We had to figure all that out and we ran out of time, wasted all the family and friends money that we had raced. And, um, so the next one, um, I thought I knew better. And so I said, well, instead of, you know, selling other people's clothing, we should start our own, start our own clothing brand and sell that to other people. And, um, 
this one is actually the one that we actually got it doing pretty well. It had a monthly, you know, recurring revenue of about twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars a month, and we had learned a lot about digital marketing as a whole. I had really done a deep dive and and tried to master everything, and you know, and I still was nowhere close to mastery. I'm nowhere close to mastery now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm constantly learning, sure. um, and so. That that business, though, had taught me the building blocks that I was able to apply later. Um, and failure is a good teacher. You know, I don't failure sucks. And when you're a competitive person, you don't like losing. And so for me, I've always kind of said I'm smart enough to win and too dumb to quit. So I don't really have any other choice but to keep moving forward here. Mm-hmm. Uh, something will stick eventually. And, um, yeah, I mean the lessons learned, um, one, take your time to be persistent. You know, like it's sometimes you just have to stay in the ring long enough to throw your knockout punch. And, and, um, you know, it, if you quit, you're never going to have that opportunity. And if you let rejection or a few punches on the chin, if we'd like to stick with the the boxing analogy, um, like that's just part of the deal. You have to be willing to just take a few on the chin and keep moving forward. So those were sort of the overarching, overarching lessons to learn there. Um, and that ended up, winding down because we had business partners who couldn't get along. <laughs> so that was, that was the other big lesson is, um, you know, be very careful about who you want to do business with. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. I'm just thinking of your boxing analogy there and, and being from Philadelphia, there's a, there's a rocky element going on probably in your subconscious there as well. <laughs> um, it's it's fascinating in Ireland and in, in Europe, maybe more so in Ireland, but that the kind of idea of failing in business is, is almost frowned upon. Whereas in the U S although, yeah, it's not something you want to do. It, it definitely has that get back up on your feet and go again mentality from talking to you and other entrepreneurs from the U S uh, it certainly comes across very well, which is great because I think that's important to um, not let it, you know, prevent you from succeeding the next time around because the percentages are obviously massively in the favor of failure right so yeah for sure and i do think that that's something that's not even um that old of a philosophy here in the united states either i mean i think when i was a kid or prior to that you know the 90s maybe and earlier entrepreneurship wasn't as glorified as it is now. So like now you have entrepreneurs who are, you know, basically rock stars and and it's almost trendy to write entrepreneur in your social media profiles. And, um, and half of those people are not real entrepreneurs anyway. They just like to throw it on their social media profile. But then you got guys who are world famous for being an entrepreneur, guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and, um, but he does the deal, you know, like he's earned that title. Um, but there is a certain element to what United States culture has become that glorifies entrepreneurship. And I think the downside 
out of that, while there's a lot of positives, the downside is that it overshadows that it's hard. And you have, and like, whether you're succeeding or not, it's not an easy climb to the top. Interesting. And your own recovery journey and, and I suppose the resilience you developed from that, do you think that has, has a, has a positive impact on your ability to bounce back and keep moving forward in, in business as well? Yeah, for sure. I think that the relationship that, um, you know, recovery and, and entrepreneurship have together is that they're both not easy. They both require a making your mind up to make a change or create a change. And, you know, they also involve other people, you know, being willing to take a chance on you, um, for sobriety and recovery. That's, people were willing to stick their hands out, help talk, you know, you're all in this together for entrepreneurship. It's the same thing. You got to go to events and trade shows and be willing to stick your hand out and focus on how you can help somebody, not just what you can get out of, you know, the interaction that you're going to have with that person. And so I guess in summary, it's more about value creation, right? In sobriety, you're taught you can't keep what you have unless you give it away. So you can't keep your sobriety unless you're helping others. And in business, I think it's not as clear, but you're going to succeed more as a business person if you can focus more on delivering value than what you can extract from a transaction. So, and I'm sure if I thought about it a little bit harder, the list of parallels could probably go on and on, but those are just the, the first ones that come to mind. Yeah, but they're they're very important ones, right? They're very powerful ones. And yeah, I certainly hear and read, I think a book jumped into mind about giving and taking and, you know, the givers succeed in the long run, whereas the takers maybe in the short run get success, but lose. Keeping that in, and even though you might hear it, you might think, oh, that doesn't sound right. Like it doesn't sound realistic, but it seems as if based on evidence and, and proof that it, it does have that sort of uh, result. So, so so it's great to hear and hopefully folks listening can you know keep that in mind as well. Um, so maybe let's talk about your latest venture at Hugs Wellness and, and CBD and how all that kind of became your, your, your new focus. And especially, I suppose, again, just to... CBD, people might hear that and think of, of weed and hemp and things like that. So it's probably good to, to kind of differentiate and um, clarify some of those terms. Yeah, no problem. Um, so CBD is very interesting in the United States right now because in, in the beginning of the year, President Trump signed laws that legalize CBD and industrial hemp, uh, which is where CBD comes from. And as a result of that legalization, CBD has seen this huge boom in the wellness community. Um, most people are taking it as a supplement um, for a variety of reasons. And it's an interesting world to navigate because like you alluded to, there's a lot of misconceptions. People think, will this get me high? How is it related to weed? And all these things. And CBD doesn't get you high. CBD is just a compound found in hemp, just like THC is. 
in regular old cannabis, THC is what gets you high. And you usually need a decent amount of that to get you high. So CBD, on the other hand, doesn't get you high. And um, even though they come from the same plant, does that uh, make sense? No, 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 totally makes sense. And I I think it's good to clarify the the distinction between the two for sure. But what, what are the, I suppose, the benefits of taking CBD then? What are the positive impacts that it can have? That's a great question. So while I am not legally allowed to give any medical advice, that's my disclaimer, or diagnose or treat any injuries, what I can do is I can tell you why people take CBD. So why people say they take it. Um, The number one reason that people say that they take CBD is because it helps them relax and deal with stress and anxiety. Number two reason is people say that it helps them with their sleep. Number three would be muscle and joint pain. Um, Those are the top reasons why people report using CBD. And a lot of people feel that it's effective. And, you know, sort of touching on what we discussed earlier, I think there's a lot of folks out there that are sick of being over-prescribed very strong medications that maybe make them feel like a zombie or have strong side effects, whereas there hasn't been many reported side effects of CBD except for, you know, might make you a little sleepy. <laughs> so I think there's there's this huge movement towards wellness, towards being focused on your health, especially with my generation. And my generation's very friendly to both marijuana and hemp. Um, and so we don't have a lot of those negative viewpoints that maybe some of our parents might have or politicians seem to have. And so we're more willing to say like, look, we believe in this plant and we're going to we're going to try it and we're going to see if it makes us feel better as opposed to getting prescribed to Xanax or, you know, any other antidepressant or anti-anxiety med. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's interesting, I suppose, thinking about it, it, it rose to prominence a lot recently. And I suppose, as you said there, it's been signed, uh, Trump signed a bill to allow it to be, I suppose, sold. In the years leading up to that, though, was it kind of an underground type of supplement that people were trying to get their hands on? That it, was there a struggle to try and get it there? What was the kind of build up to that? Well, so in the years prior, let's just say the handful of years prior, right? Like five years prior, there were CBD is an active component in medical marijuana. So when you're getting high, you're going to a dispensary or a medical marijuana place um, you, you're well aware of what CBD is. So some strains will have higher levels of CBD and lower levels of THC. Um, the CBD oil that you buy now, some of it does have THC into it, but it has less than 0.3% is the legal limit, right? So prior to that, only in states where cannabis was legal, did you really find CBD being sold on its own? 
or high CBD strains of marijuana. Um, but there's a few companies that are have been around for a while and all they did was CBD, but they could maybe only sell it in Colorado or only sell it in California. And so now it's federally legal in the United States. So while there are different state regulations, it is a legally available product. Does that, does that answer yeah, your question? Yeah. No, no, it does give me a bit more background to it. And I think knowing that we were going to talk, I think last weekend I was walking through a shop, shopping mall in town, and uh, I think it is available as a supplement here in Ireland as well. So I guess it's still it's it's legal here as well, although marijuana isn't legal at all at any part of, of Ireland yet anyway. Um, but probably time, you know, time will change that, I'd imagine. Uh, for for sure. So, so your your idea to then set up this organization to purely focus on CBD was that something that you were were planning for a while? Maybe talk me through that. I know you have a co-founder as well, and and yeah, you know just a few learning. business partners, good guys. Um, yeah. So we um had started discussing this industry earlier in the year, and. Effectively, starting in probably February is when we started to build out the brand. We kind of took a look at the industry. We said, okay, here's where people are confused. Here's where, um, excuse me, here's where people are confused. Here's where the industry's at as far as branding and marketing and how companies are presenting themselves. And we really just, saw an opportunity to create something that felt accessible and didn't feel like this hefty supplement that you, you know, that your great grandmother comes home with from the vitamin store or anything like that. We said, okay, there's room here to make something that's like a little bit more user friendly and we can kind of teach people about CBD in this way that's easy to digest because it's a confusing world. I mean, a lot of people are like, they hear about it. They don't really know what it is. You know, as we already touched on, there's a ton of misconceptions about it. And, um, and governments are slow to react to regulate it because people are already using it and have been. Um, and so, yeah, that was sort of the, the early stages of it. And so we wanted to just create something that, was self-care focused and so we came up with hugs my business partner brady came up with the name hugs and we came up with a little tagline hug yourself so it's supposed to represent self-care taking care of yourself you know um and so that was that's our ethos um we also donate one percent of all of our sales to support an addiction recovery charity called 10,000 beds, um, which, which helps people who, um, don't have the ability to get into treatment for their addiction and alcoholism. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not exactly sure of all the details of your healthcare system over there, but in ours, if you don't have insurance, it's very, very difficult to get into treatment and millions and millions of people, suffer from these ailments. So if we can help a couple people or more every month get into treatment, then we consider that a win. 
Um, and that was something that was decided upon from the very beginning is we wanted to have a mission driven company. Mm. Yeah. So that's uh, and again, ties back in with your ethos of, of giving back, right? That, that, uh, s- certainly helps to make, make a, a, a meaningful con- contribution from that perspective as well. Just interested about the, the business model, I suppose with CBD becoming mainstream now, it's probably a competitive enough market and there's probably lots of threats there that you're looking at or how, how are you getting kind of like getting that competitive advantage or, or kind of get ahead of others? Well, for one thing, we spend a lot of time, money and effort on compliance, right? So staying on top of the landscape that is CBD and legislation. So here, not only do you have a legislation but you also have individual states and as the governments are starting to adopt and embrace cbd certain states have certain labeling requirements what how you can describe your product you need to have an fda warning on it most companies in the cbd industry have no idea they just slap a label on it It's not federally compliant, even in big box retailers. So we really spend a lot of time and focus on that. We make sure, I mean, it took us months to find suppliers um, that we could work with um, to build out our product line and that we could trust. There are bad actors in CBD, um, just like there are in any industry that's not, you know, new. And, um, yeah, so I think that's one thing that makes us different is that we really try and just, I mean, I, if I can only tell you the amount of emails that I've exchanged with compliance and FDA lawyers on how to properly label these products, and it's frustrating, right? Because I know that when I walk into a store, 90% of the products on the shelves don't have all the requirements that we have. Um, but I think it'll pay dividends later. It's about kind of trying to do things the right way. I think that being mission driven, donating to charity helps us stand out from the pack a little bit. Um, and, and just having a focus on quality, of course, I mean, that's kind of a given your products need to be top notch. And we, we work hard on, on covering those things that are fundamental to us. And, um, yeah, and I think the way our brand looks and feels is much different than a lot of brands out there. Um, just everything that we've tried to take into consideration, we don't do all this perfectly. We're not the smartest people in the world, you know, but just thinking of things like, okay, when someone orders a pack online, how do we want that package to arrive to them? What happens when they open it? And so that's why if you get a box from us, you open it and you're, you see, Self-care isn't selfish under the lid. And then we have a bunch of inserts with information, how to take the CBD. Um, Where can you find the third-party lab results for this product that show you that what we say is on the label is in the product? Meaning if I tell you there's 500 milligrams of CBD in it, we send it to a third-party laboratory and they confirm that there's 500 milligrams of CBD in it. So... I think transparency in that way is also a big 
selling point for us. Um, but we're, we're young, we're growing, and uh, we're working hard every single day to make sure that we are doing things to the best of our ability. So I think that makes us stick out because there's a lot of people that are, they just want money, they see it as a trend, they want to capitalize. And also, you know, there's a lot of large, large companies that are going to be getting involved in CBD soon. And some already are. So, Very good. No, it's good to hear the uh, the customer experience piece being extremely important there as well because you know, like if you think of purchasing a, a device from Apple or, or you know, you, you, the experience you get opening the box and kind of the, the detail gone into that sounds definitely makes that overall purchasing experience and just using a a device or in your case a cbd oil something memorable and connects a feeling with it which i think is very important in in these days as well um just a couple of quick ones to to wrap up josie because time has flown by and hopefully we've got some good stuff out there you mentioned tim ferris and gary vaynerchuk as kind of two you know killers when it comes to um being entrepreneurs and and setting trends are you, are you, who are you learning from right now in, in that world? Who, who's your kind of go-to person that you might follow or, or take inspiration from uh, to help you improve as a, an entrepreneur? Um, well, more recently, I've, um, I still listen to Tim Ferriss's podcast, not to plug in other podcasts on your podcast. That's all right. <laughs> I don't think he, I'm not sure if he listens to this one or anything, but uh, you never know. Well, once this one's done, I'll tweet at him and say, I mentioned you on this podcast. Um, but so, um, yeah, and, and it's funny because those two, Tim Ferriss wrote a book called The 4-Hour Workweek, which is about minimizing the hours spent but maximizing your effectiveness. And Gary Vaynerchuk is the exact opposite of that. He's hustle, 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 12 hours a day. And I love them both. There's lessons to be learned from both. I've more recently and later on in my entrepreneurial journey now, I still really enjoy Seth Godin. Uh, he has the best little newsletter that I get every morning. It just is like they're always short. You can find his website by just typing in Seth into Google. Um, and I love his newsletter in the mornings because he just has such a incredible way of taking complex topics and making them simple distilling them into one paragraph, sending it out. Um, and then I, I have a few Twitter follows, at Naval, N-A-V-A-L. Uh, he's more of a tech guy, but his mental maps and philosophy on life and business has been very, very interesting to me, um, as well as a few other of the venture capitalist guys. Like I like reading Paul Graham's work from Y Combinator. He's a really good one. And I mean, a good idea can come from anywhere, you know? Um, and so I try to listen while I'm not in tech, I still try to learn from that industry. So, um, yeah, those are the ones that come to mind off the top of my head. Okay. Cool. cool. Good to hear some of those there. Do you eat your own dog food, so to speak? Do you take the CBD oil yourself? Is it something you use to kind of balance your day out? How do you actually to kind of build on from that? What do you do to keep yourself balanced with, with work and life and that? Um, well, to answer the first part of that question, yes, I take CBD every day. Um, and because I would not sell something unless I was comfortable taking it myself. And I try every single product before it's for sale. 
Um, usually I'm myself and my business partners are the guinea pigs. And, um, yeah, I, I think one thing that I'm learning a lot about is how to, um, take care of myself despite the stresses and ups and downs and the roller coaster ride that is entrepreneurship, right? It's very easy to get stuck in work mode and it's so, so important to practice, like we said earlier, self-care. Um, for me, I try to go to the gym four times a week, try to eat well and, and be mindful about what I'm putting in my body. But also I don't, I don't ever get so strict on myself that I make a diet or anything so unsustainable. I'm not going to eat keto every single day because then I feel bad when I don't do it. Um, I'm not going to meditate every single day, although I try. Um, there's so much you can do, and it's just about finding stuff that works for you and, and recognizing when, hey, I'm feeling burnt out. Hey, I'm, I'm exhausted. I need to take a few hours to just kind of unplug. And so, but it took me a long time, a long time to learn that those, those breaks and those moments of taking care of yourself are okay. And it's not a weakness. So yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's it. I'm still learning. I make a lot of mistakes and, uh, I don't know at all. Mm. Well, look, if it's any consolation, you're, I'm, 11 years older than you and I probably only figured a lot of that stuff out myself about three or four years ago so you're you know you're doing good <laughs> just uh, as you said go easy on yourself and um look for look for the positives look for the the, the moving moving forward um uh, progression so so sounds sounds really good Josie look it was great to chat to you just to wrap it up as you know at the end of it you listen to podcasts there's always that shout out to uh, to how folks can learn more about it go to the website that sort of stuff yeah. Um, so the website for our CBD products is www.hugscbd.com. And uh, your listeners can get a 25% off discount code if they so choose uh, by using code HUGYOURSELF at checkout. Very good indeed. Uh, and you ship all over the place? You ship to outside of the U.S.? Uh, I'm not sure if we can do that actually right now. Um, so in the UK, uh, I know that all CBD products have to be less than 0.2%, whereas here it's 0.3% THC. Um, okay. it depends on the country. Right. So, um, most of ours fit into that category, but every country has different regulations so it depends where you're from okay cool i would say half folks that listen to this show are from the u.s so you never at least some some can purchase it if they, they so should wish brilliant um josie look it was great to chat to you thanks so much for sharing it i look forward to putting this out in the near future and uh, definitely um, drop tim ferris a note when it comes out and you know if you're you haven't ran into him there in texas in, in austin at all yet you haven't bumped into him in the, the supermarket or anything no no, no, not yet. I don't think I would even have the guts to approach him if I did. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I most definitely will. And thank you so much for having me. No, it was good to talk to you, man. And thanks again. Uh, look forward to sharing it. All right. Thank you, Rob.
So this is the outro of the podcast, guys. You got to the end, and that is great. Please hang in here for another couple of minutes. I know most people won't, but maybe there's something here of interest. So check this out. First off, thanks so much for listening to this one, as well as maybe the hundred or so that's gone before it. Why not check them out if you haven't already? There's lots of good stuff in there. The whole podcasting journey for me has been a huge learning, and I'm trying to help you guys learn and improve as well. So much has changed over the last few years since I started it. I've really realized lots of the goals that I put out there and then realized so many unexpected benefits as well. And I think anytime you take on action towards a goal, you're going to pick up lots of things that you didn't expect along the way. And hopefully they're good things. In this particular episode, was there any one or two things that jumped out? Maybe you could take a pen and paper out right now because this is something that you might think of during the episode but never do. Do it now. Take it out. Write down a goal that you're going to set yourself as a result of something you learned from this episode. Put a plan in place and then work towards it. Applying yourself deliberately over time. Take ownership. Build a habit. Improve. Get 1% better. Share accountability with somebody you know in a buddy system and learn and grow and improve. That's what it's all about. That's my hopefully inspirational piece done other areas to note check out the website robofthegreen.ie you can consume everything there for free there is obviously the podcast there's video one minute monday clips there's articles Uh, not enough but i'd like to put more there if you're interested in putting one there let me know and there's a get better app page which i'm starting to add new content to over time there's a feedback page if you want to email me rob at robofthegreen.ie instead but it's all about trying to engage you and get you to a place of improvement so i'm open to feedback as i said ways you can help me is by following me on the socials at robofthegreen.ie is the website or at robofthegreen on all the social platforms subscribe to the podcast on any of the apps that you might listen to it on talk about it tell a friend about it tell your family members about it share some of the ideas not only to your friends but to me is there anything i can improve upon sign up to the newsletter that's there as well i'm experimenting again with a group called slack rob of the green on slack this is really for a shared accountability environment and sharing ideas you can sign up to that on the website as well all of this is obviously all free but there is also an option where you could subscribe to my patreon site and make a small donation for the content that we do it's there it's totally up to you everything that is coming in through that or could come in through that will go into making the podcast better so to close i am always trying to improve and get better change is difficult i know that but it's all about taking the first step learning something applying yourself moving forward you can do this i've been able to improve pushing myself outside the comfort zone learning and i think if i can do it so can you don't overreach don't set yourself unrealistic goals one percent at a time is enough but it's all about starting and that will bring you on your pursuit of betterness to a great place thanks for sticking to the very end talk to you next time and take care good luck